You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. What's the first book you can remember reading? When you think back to the first author that you could name, who comes to mind? Sure, a lot of different answers out there, but for a good number of the people listening to this across the country, Dr. Seuss is a likely bet. Dr. Seuss is among the most well-known, probably the most well-known children's author of all time. And now we find out the extent to which the cancel culture of the left has grown, that even Dr. Seuss is not safe from their grasp. Of course not, though, right? Nobody can be allowed to stand in the way. There's no body of work that's so important, that's so timeless, that you will not see the left apply the standards of wokeness to it. The ever-evolving, shifting, changing, and often duplicitous standards of wokeness. The six Dr. Seuss books that will no longer be published today, according to uh, various news sources, because of racist and insensitive imagery. This is from Dr. Seuss Enterprises. So the company that owns it no longer wants to have to deal with the possibility here of getting a getting boycotted or anything else. So they think that they have beaten the left. They've beaten the wokeness to the punch, although I'm sure they were already receiving a lot of pressure and there's criticism. I can hardly keep up with all the stories these days. They had a, another voice actor on The Simpsons who just came out to say he'll no longer be voicing a a character of color, a person of color character. Uh, that's no longer allowed, as you know, and people are supposed to apologize for doing it in the first place. Now, uh, there's so many of these stories. It's happening all the time. You know, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, I thought that the Biden administration, I thought the left, once they were in charge, could at least give us a couple of months of focusing on governance and, and important issues. But no, you see what they do. You see that when you believe the things that the left believes, you take action on it, even when it's counterproductive, even when it's absurd, and when it goes against core values of this country. Free speech and freedom of expression are core values enshrined in the First Amendment of the Constitution. These aren't, these aren't trivialities. These aren't small things. And never before in my lifetime has free speech and freedom overall been under such sustained assault from people who have adopted an ideology of sanctimoniousness and oppression simultaneously they think they're the good guys and you if you don't agree with them are the bad guys and that now even extends to children's books six dr seuss books no longer to be published including and to think that i saw it on mulberry street if i ran the zoo mckelligott's pool on beyond zebra scrambled egg super and the cat's quizzer this comes Right after, one day after, Joe Biden omitted Dr. Seuss from Read Across America Day, which is usually held on the author's birthday on March 2nd. So it's Read Across America Day and Joe Biden, the Biden administration, they got to put thought into this one. I'm going to make sure that they show they, they prove their woke bona fides. Uh, these people are, you could say, cultural Marxists. You could say they are neo-commies. Uh, there's all kinds of descriptions. But, but ultimately, it comes from a mindset overwhelmed 
with the propaganda of victimology. Here we are in America. People are so incredibly fortunate to even be here. This is such an amazing place. And I know a lot of time on this show is spent criticizing what's going wrong and what people in power are doing wrong. That's because it's a political talk show. But I'm also here to tell you that America is amazing. This is the greatest country that has ever existed, and it's worth fighting for because of all those things. And that you should enjoy it as you can. Enjoy your life. Uh, spend time with your loved ones. Get the most out of this place that you can and feel blessed in that process. Even though there are people that are trying to take some of those blessings away from you. I'm aware of that. And that's what we talk about here. But the left takes a very different approach. One of constant victimization. A belief that there is oppression that is omnipresent in our society. It is absolutely everywhere. And that means the only way to deal with it is for government power and cultural power to combine to suppress wrong thing, to suppress ideas that are disfavored by the ruling class, by the elites at any given point in time. And here you have Dr. Seuss, the latest with this. But I have to tell you um, what you're seeing now with Amazon banning books, including academic works on things like transgenderism or people that have spent years researching issues and want to present an argument not allowed. Amazon now says that they will block the sale of books that they find offensive or insensitive. If if you can't have culture, if you can't have books, movies, television shows that can be construed by someone somewhere as offensive You've essentially created the eradication of culture. In fact, the, the only culture that you'll be left with is one that defines the, the dominant group as the constant enemy, right? One, one that picks one group that they're always, it's always open season on attacking and everything else, everyone else has this constant uh, protection that they can invoke of, well, I'm part of the oppressed class. And this is what the left does. Isn't it fascinating how many people live in extreme wealth, live in unbelievable splendor in America and are some of the loudest voices for how hard and oppressive and bad this place is. It's stunning whether you're talking about you know, Hollywood actors and celebrities, professional athletes. They enjoy looking down on America while they benefit in ways that previous generations of humanity around the globe would have thought were were incomprehensible levels of freedom and wealth and an opportunity. But I suppose everything is is relative. You know, there's a concept called hedonistic adaptation, and it has to do with once you get used to something feeling good, once you have uh, had enough of, say, living in a, a, a mansion, you know, you want three. Once you've been flying first class you want to fly private right whatever benefits whatever joys that you can find in things in actual possessions or in goods and services that you can buy you get used to it and you want more and you see this with the elites and the wealthy in america all the time it's never enough and so they eventually reach a point where the only real thing that matters to them is the approval and the admiration of their peers. Essentially, ego is all that's left. The only thing that is truly unfillable is 
ego and the, the adoration of the crowd. And you see this with some very, very wealthy people, someone like Bill Gates, for example. I mean, he finds he finds an existential necessity, not for the planet, for himself in pushing this climate change nonsense, because when you've been close to or the richest man in the world for the last 30 years, another house, another jet, fanciest food in the world. You know, you can only wear one suit at a time. You can only eat one meal at a time. You can only be married to, well, I mean, generally speaking, only be married to one person at a time, right? I mean, there's, there's only so much that can be done here uh, based on material wealth. But the ego is endless. The ego is endless. And that's why wokeness is this, this reservoir of vanity, you see. These are people that have to do nothing, that have to don't, they don't take a difficult stand. It's the opposite of that. They cover themselves in cheaply won glory by throwing under the bus writers, authors, creators, leaders, heroes, warriors, you name it, of the past. Throw it all under the bus as though they're better than them because they now have a, a new understanding of what's important and what's right in society. You should also remember that they're not seeking to replace this with anything that is worthwhile. That's another problem. Uh, the, the art that is created in communist regimes is always the most brutish, boring propaganda. There's a reason for that. Because for the mind to be truly free, there has to be the opportunity to test boundaries. There has to be the possibility of uncomfortable ideas, of uncomfortable truths even expressed in society. I often tell people with the work that I do, the truth is perhaps a ironclad defense against defamation, but the truth does not always work in your favor when you say it. People often don't want to hear the truth. The truth can be an ugly thing, a difficult thing. In fact, a huge part of what the Democrat Party does in America today is convince people who feel like they are disenfranchised or they're left out, that they have no agency in any of this. That it's not their fault, you see. They haven't made any bad decisions. They're not putting short term over long term. There's no individual or personal discipline involved in where you are or how your life is going. It's the other. They're oppressing you. And maybe if we start banning more books, then things will even out. This is, of course, preposterous. Doesn't work that way. But you have those who won't take responsibility for themselves adhering to this, loving the, the hearing of this message. And then you have those who have done incredibly well, unbelievably well, live in, in luxury and circumstances that kings of previous eras would have found unthinkable. And what do they do? They pretend to be obsessed with the plight of those who have less out of both a sense of guilt and a burning desire for superiority. For other for those who don't hold the same beliefs, right? I am better than this is the virtue signaling idea. I am better than those other people because I care so much about those who have less. I don't do anything for them. Of course, I don't help them. I don't speak honestly or truthfully to them. I pander, but it makes me look good because the ego is endless and people that could have never in a million years come up with something as timeless and creative as the books of Dr. Seuss now find a way to make themselves feel tall and strong and brave by comparison when they're actually none of those things. And they're tearing down the free culture 
that was the reason for all the prosperity and all the benefits that we've had in this country. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. One of the big problems is that police are too often called into situations where they should actually be the last resort. So many activists have said that we should find alternatives to cops as first responders. You know, maybe healthcare professionals or community members. And now the NYPD is saying, all right, I hear you, but what about robot dogs? Wow, a robot dog? What a cool way for the police to say they have too much money and should be defunded. And this robot dog comes with tons of features. It's got cameras, it's got a microphone, it's even got an extra knife that it can plant on an unarmed body, all sorts of things. But you gotta give props to the police for how they're marketing this robot. Oh, look at our adorable dog. No, it's a cop made out of steel. Like they can call tear gas potty smoke, doesn't mean it's going to sting any less when they blast you with it. Here's a great example of ingratitude in America in practice. You have Trevor Noah, who is a guy who lives in a $30 million mansion in Bel Air. I'm serious. $30 million house. Not a $3 million house. That's a really nice house. A $30 million house. Who's calling for the defunding of a police department where... The starting salary is 42 grand. They don't need money. They don't need overtime. They don't need training. Defund them. Oh, what do you think, Trevor Noah, who is painfully unfunny and not talented? And I understand the market, you would say, has rewarded him. Well, no, really a bunch of media executives who decided for whatever reason, wanted to feel good about themselves in whatever way, thought, let's make Trevor Noah a big deal in America by giving him a TV show where he talks about American politics. And he's not funny. He's not good at the job. He's just not good. I mean, that, uh, people that have seen him know this. Um, but put that aside for a second, because that's completely subjective. And people can argue with me and they can say he's, he's hilarious or whatever, fine. He's a guy who's incredibly blessed. And the moment that he heard something go bump in the night in his $30 million house in Bel Air, I, I can assure you he would be calling the police and he wouldn't want them to send a social worker. He wouldn't want them to send a social worker. He would want them to send armed law enforcement officers. But you see, it's a more popular stance if you're on the left now to pretend that the problem in America are the cops. It's a more popular stance for celebrities to say that this would be easy to fix. The problems of society would be easy to fix if only we would send social workers instead of law enforcement officers. These people don't know anything. These voices you hear in the media, they don't understand law enforcement. They don't speak the truth about the law enforcement incidents that are at the center of the so-called BLM movement. And when the truth does come out, they don't share that because it never really matters. Right? The best example of this is Mike Brown, hands up, don't shoot. He did not get shot with his hands up. He was charging a police officer, according to several African-American eyewitnesses. And the report done by Eric Holder as part of Obama, as the head of Obama's DOJ. That's what the facts actually said. Still, still went with the movement there. I'm concerned for the future 
of the city of Minneapolis. You know, the George Floyd uh, case there with Officer Derek Chauvin is, is going to be underway uh, soon. And if that goes in the direction I think it will, which is there will not be a second degree murder conviction, I believe. If there is, I think that's outrageous. Um, there might be a lesser charge that he's convicted on. I think that's possible. But if let's just say Officer Chauvin ends up being cleared of all criminal charges, which based on the autopsy report of what actually was the cause of death for George Floyd seems like a distinct possibility, there will be rioting, there will be destruction. We all know it. The city of Minneapolis is already preparing for it. And do you think the celebrities who live in $30 million homes, you know, do you, do you think whether it's Trevor Noah or Taylor Swift or Alec Baldwin or you know, any of these people who are, who are very vocal about their politics, do you think that they'll change their minds about the need for police protection for communities that have high crime rates? Do you think all of a sudden they'll say, hold on a second, we can't allow riding? No, because it's not about what's best for the country. It's not about what's best for the communities where violence is unfortunately a daily fact of life. It's what looks the best on your Twitter account. What gets the most LOLs on the clip from The Daily Show? Whatever that is, that's the truth that people will share about this. Doesn't matter that it's lies. As long as they benefit from it. And this is increasingly the country that we find ourselves in. One in which the truth is actually punished. It is silenced. And if you have a problem with that, they'll come after you too. And then they hold themselves up as truth tellers. They do this with the Cuomo revelations. A little late there, journos. And they do this with all aspects of police and law enforcement. There's something really wrong with the leftist mind in America. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I want to try an experiment with you now in this cancel culture in this world of left-wing domination of social media news media and and entertainment in hollywood think about something that you could say as a white male about white males that is derogatory that is um that is undermining that is offensive that would be considered a problem from the left's perspective i mean how far can you actually go I think it's an interesting, interesting uh, experiment to run in your in your own mind, because you can only do this with white males. It, it is only in America, the 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 province it is it is only the in the realm of white males where there is nothing that can be said about white maleness that is too offensive, too derogatory, uh, too nasty. And in fact, you get as a white male or anybody else, for that matter, you get a kind of social credit score points added to you. You're a, you're a better person. And if you're wondering, well, Buck, what do you mean? How, how does this work in practice? Here's a, a phenomenal example of it. You know, when you, when you want MSNBC, if I went on MSNBC and, and wanted the audience to like me, there are certain things that I would, I would try to work into the conversation, no matter what we're talking about. And one of them would be, a self-deprecating and self-loathing attitude about white maleness. I can't change. It's in a, these are immutable characteristics, despite what the left thinks these days. I am male. I am considered white. Now, I think white as a categorization is also 
quite broad and in some ways useless and, and vague. But yes, I, I am considered to be uh, of Caucasian skin tone. And that means that that's that's what I'm dealing with. That's what I what I am. You listen to John Brennan, the former CIA director. And you hear a guy say this and you know that it's the equivalent of Jeb saying, please clap. I mean, that's what John Brennan's doing here to the MSNBC audience. It's embarrassing. Well, he's embarrassed, but not not of what he should be. Play three. That's why we started with Kate, Katie Benner's great new reporting about the investigation into police officer. It renders, you know, at best hypocritical, at worst cynical and false, any notion that the Republicans care about the lives and the safety of law enforcement. Well, I must say, to Claire's point, I'm increasingly embarrassed to be a white male these days. I mean, what a- <laughs> Light of what I see of my other white males saying, but it, it just shows that with the ex- with very few exceptions like Mitt Romney, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, there are so few Republicans in Congress who value truth, honesty. Yeah, yeah, and yeah whatever. OK, we, 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 and so, enough, enough, enough. Embarrassed to be a white male. He throws that in there as a cheap applause line. But this is really a mentality on the left. There is this feeling of of sadness and, and a sense of uh, of transgressing when you're talking about white males, you've, you've done something wrong. You've somehow violated something. You don't you didn't do anything, but your white maleness is a problem. If you are a leftist, if you're a Democrat today, you actually believe this stuff. And, and then think, do what I had said. You have the experiment in your head of what can you say? How far if I were to sit here and tell you that, uh, you know, white males are. The cause of oppression and wars all over the world, that white males are are the cause of racism. White males are the cause of sexism and the patriarchy. All these things. That's just a list of what the left believes. The the left believes these things. They cause the patriarchy. They cause racism. In fact, it's really not possible for there to be racism except white males against other people. That's the which is crazy if you know anything about the world and racism all over the world. That doesn't even involve anybody who's white. But nonetheless, there, there's a lot of a lot of this belief out there, and, and they, they make it very clear. Now, assume for a moment that you're that you're talking about if you were going to talk about any group other than white males. Any racial group, gender group, would you be able to get away with this? In fact, would it be career enhancing for somebody to sit up, uh, sit up on on a national TV channel like MSNBC and trash their identity group? Or mock it or make fun of it? No, of course. And if anyone else not from the group did it, their career would be over. Of course, it'd be it'd be all done. You'd be, you know, run out of polite society. How did we get to this point? Well, as I've been saying to you, it is part of the messaging campaign that that the left has had for for many many years now. That you can get cheap points, cheap virtue signaling points, if only you embrace this anti-white male, anti-patriarchy rhetoric as a white male or as anybody else. This is now the culture. This is the way people think about this. I mean, if you turn on, you know, comedians these days, what will comedians make fun of? Republicans, hillbillies, white males. That, that's what you get. That's what comedians think their job is. They certainly will not make fun of any other groups. If they do, the woke mob comes after them. And even if they're making fun of groups and we all used to know the difference, as I've been saying to you, comedy has been has been killed off by the left. 
They'd say, well, all the comedians are liberals. Yeah, for the same reason that all the college professors are liberals, because they're a bunch of uh, extremists who won't allow anybody else with different ideas to be in the same field. Right? Because they're absolutists. Right? Did the communists take over the Soviet Union? Did Stalin and, and his inner circle, were they in charge because their ideas were so good? You know, were, were they so much more widely beloved, you know, the Bolsheviks than the Mensheviks? Or, or then the reform movement that was underway at the time of the Russian Revolution that evolved the constitutional democracy movement, but no one even remembers that anymore. They were trying to get there. But no, of course not, right? You're, 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 supposed, to forget, you're supposed to forget all of that. These people, because of their belief system, uh, they think that there can't be opposing ideas because it's all rooted in this obsession with a belief of, of absolute truth in politics and in culture. I mean, which is just it's so counter it's just so counterintuitive for all the rest of us. Of course, culture needs to be different and culture is messy. And this is why they get these ideas like cultural appropriation. It's an absurdity. There's no such thing. Now, they they will tell you there is. And they'll say that, you know, you can't be a white person who cooks Asian food, for example, to which I always point out Asia is a very big place. And everybody in Asia, every country in Asia has borrowed from regional cuisines. And, you know, there is no straight line here to even talk about, but they pretend that there is. It's all about power. And it's about transferring into the hands of a very few, not just the ability to dictate your, your actions through government and cultural and private sector coercion now, but also to try to control your thoughts. There are people who are obsessed with control as a general principle, controlling others and they desire also at, at some level to be controlled themselves right? and only at the very very top are there those who are so in love with their own power their authority that they just wish to increase the control that they have on everyone else and then have absolute freedom to do whatever they want themselves that that's the end stage of authoritarian leftism today that's where these commies want to take us and you see this in the way they approach so many of these issues. Uh, what, what cultural additions have the, has the, uh, the left made in recent years that you think will be enduring, will be timeless? What are, what are they doing that is inspiring, beautiful, worthwhile? No, they tear down everything else before them and they hold themselves up and they act as though somehow this is going to make this a better country. By running around like power-mad hall monitors, this is going to improve American society. People do, at their core, have a, have a yearning to be free. They can suppress it, and it can, be, it can be locked up, essentially, by those who would rather then be controlled. And this is why a lot of uh, belief systems, a lot of political systems, focus so much on that absolute control. We're supposed to have a system rooted in individuality and individual freedom and it is under assault from the collectivist left. And I know you could say, oh, come on, some children's books. What's the big deal? They're actually banning books, folks. Can we just understand? The left is ascendant right now. And what are they doing? They are banning books. They're not banning Mein Kampf, by the way. That you can still get on Amazon. I checked. Uh, but they are banning books that say that maybe giving hormone blocking uh, medicines to 
hormone blocking agents to, uh, you know, 11, 12 year olds who think they're transgender. And it is think, by the way, there's no physical manifestation of this, uh, that that's hate speech. It's hate. I've always been opposed to uh, hate speech codes and rules because I knew how this would go. The slope is, in fact, slippery. And this is what's happened on social media, too. At first, it was terms of service. You can't say mean things to people. You can't attack them and you know put their personal data online and dox them. All right, well, some of that seems reasonable. Then it says, well, but also we don't allow hate speech. What does that mean? Does advocating for the enforcement of U.S. federal law at our southern border, is that hate speech? Talk to a lot of Democrats, they'll say it is. They're controlling so much of the society around them. And we find ourselves playing defense these days. I think the first step is understanding why what they're doing on a on a philosophical level is both wrong and destructive. This does not make America a better place and it doesn't even have the outcome that they want it to, which is that we are all more respectful of each other. Now, respect comes from an understanding. You know, it's, re- it's really not possible to, to have respect in society without also some level of wisdom and judgment. And if people can't understand that they're not always going to like what others say, they're not going to like others' uh, research and the ideas that they put forward in society, uh, all that happens is they force, they, they suppress freedoms and create a backlash. And it's one that we're going to be dealing with, I think, in unforeseeable ways right now, but in time, we'll say, of course, of course, the book bannings and eventually, I'm sure, book burnings. I mean, the stuff that they're doing in this country is unthinkable. The, the cultural suppression, of course, it led to some awful outcomes. Um, but right now they can't see it because they're just drunk with power and, and self-righteousness. One of the one of the great benefits of being a brainless leftist is that you can just bathe in sanctimoniousness with a, with a tweet, with a with a BLM hashtag on your social media page, all of a sudden, without doing anything or earning anything, you're a good person. It's the single most powerful selling point of American leftism today. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. No doubt the virus is in the air. There is no doubt that you can catch it if you inhale air that someone else has exhaled. And, and as Piers described beautifully, uh, the the exercising jogger, the puffing and panting jogger, you can feel their breath come and you can sometimes actually feel yourself inhale it. So there's no doubt that there is a danger there. I do agree that wet, soggy masks are not a good idea. But for goodness sake, I've been for a run this morning. Not only did I put my T-shirt in the wash, but I put my mask in the wash as well. Mm. So the fact that they get uh, you know, contaminated is not a reason for not wearing them. It's not that you're going to do anything with that mask apart from wash it. Um, the other thing to say is that 40% of COVID cases uh, happen by catching it from people who have no symptoms. So you're jogging along, you think you're fine, and then the next day you develop symptoms of COVID, but you've actually breathed that COVID onto someone, perhaps, you know, a, an old lady walking a dog or something like that. So I think it's really important to be... OK, okay well, look, let's bring in... You're jogging along, you think you're fine, and then you breathe on an old lady 
and you've just murdered her and should spend the rest of your life probably in a dark prison cell somewhere because you wouldn't wear a mask like Dr. Greenlee of Britain on this Piers Morgan show. I don't even know what it's called. Told you to. And all of a sudden, my accent's moving. It's like it's going more into the, the poorer areas of London. You know what I mean? So, yeah, this is, you got a British doctor here telling you that you should wear a mask when you're running alone. On TV. Now, she will not be censored or silenced by social media or anybody else for being a moron. They're just going to say, yeah, that's right. Whatever protects people. But... There, the, the, the theoretical basis that she lines up here for you getting the virus is like a lightning strike fear. I can't tell you it's not possible, but all the actual research on the epidemiology of this virus is, is long duration, close proximity, indoors. That's how you get this. Meaning that's where the risk is. Right? That's the, that's the concern. You know, it, there's... Always a concern. You could be going for a jog. You could step on a hypodermic needle and, you, you know, you might get, you know, hepatitis. But people don't run around worried about that. They worry if they're actually intravenous drug users about getting bloodborne pathogens like that. Right. That's that's a reasonable. You, you, you tell people, hey, don't use dirty needles. You don't say, hey, be careful because there's a one in a one in a million, one in a billion chance when you go for a jog in the park, you might step on a dirty needle. It's possible. I mean, I can't tell you it's not possible, right? Of course it is. But is that what you're worried about? We have seen as part of the mass panic induced, the mass hysteria induced by our mass media has resulted in the complete elimination of a reasonable understanding of risk in our lives. And this doctor is a perfect example of it. You can listen to me or you can listen to Dr. Fauci, who says, of course, New York did a great job dealing with the pandemic. Cuomo particularly did a great job. Highest death toll in the country after New Jersey, which is basically just a province of New York in terms of the the population uh, dispersal here and how it works with the virus. Here's Dr. Fauci. Play 20. The CDC will be coming out within the next few weeks, uh, maybe even sooner, with some guidelines about what people who are vaccinated. And I think and I know you're referring, Dana, to people who are doubly vaccinated 14 days out. They're protected. They have that 94 Mm -hmm. to 95 percent protection. What can they do? I'm very certain, and, I, and we've discussed this, and, I, and you're right, I don't want to get ahead of the guidelines because the CDC wants to do things that are science-based. If you can't get the science, you've got to maybe use modeling, and in addition to modeling, you use good professional common sense judgment. They'll be coming out with that. But one of the things that I think is going to become clear, that if you have individuals, adults who are vaccinated, two people that are mm-hmm. doubly vaccinated, and are protected, that you can do things that we weren't talking about before. You could have dinner in a home without masks on. You could have friends who you know are doubly vaccinated and are protected together. Dinner, I just jump in there. Once you're doubly vaccinated, he says you can have dinner in a home, a private home. I hope you've been doing that all along, folks. I really do. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Harsanyi time. We got our friend David Harsanyi in the mix. He is at NationalReview.com. Senior writer there. David, what's going on? Not much. How are you? You know, getting uh, 
getting used to what it's like to have our our Democrat overlords in place here. It's uh, every bit as annoying, frustrating and and, and uh, pointless as, as I thought it would be. But let's let's do this this first, because um, I've been talking today a fair amount about the the canceling of I know it's only six books, but they're canceling children's books now. You wrote that it's fascinating to me that people can't stand against the book burners without making about Fox or conservatives. And even if Geisel was a racist, meaning uh, uh, Dr. Seuss, it doesn't change anything. Roald Dahl was an anti-Semite, and I still wouldn't want people to stop publishing his books. Explain. I've been making this argument for a long time. I mean, free speech is not contingent, or your belief in free speech and in an open society isn't contingent on the opinions themselves. Either you believe that free speech is a uh, neutral principle, or you don't. Now, uh, uh, people don't have to publish a book, but if they're banning a book because it's insensitive, and then even the people who are def- are against that, meaning you know left wing people, they have, always have to make the case that Dr. Zeus wasn't you know deep, deep inside. He wasn't a racist. It doesn't matter. Um, there are plenty of books we read from people who were racists or who had opinions in the time that would not work today for us. That doesn't diminish their work. Um, there's a million books we can ban right now. I, I was just rereading one of my favorite books, All the King's Men, and the N-word is used throughout it. But it's not a racist book. I know that's weird to say. It's a book of the time in Louisiana in the 1930s, and that's the way that people spoke in those days. Um, this is a never-ending uh, ban list you're going to have. And the left wingers, they can't even say we shouldn't ban it. Instead, they're talking about how uh, Dr. Seuss would hate Fox News. Who cares? There's nothing to do with it. But they can't just get themselves to, to, to be on the right side of something like this. So uh, that's it's just annoying. I think it shows it shows the power of the woke narrative that there are so many people who are making a living in the realm of free expression and free speech or what should be that realm. And if you're look, it's very straightforward. If you're somebody who's a big Biden supporter and Biden voter and you work in news media, any kind of communications media, you basically I mean, I know there are some exceptions and we know who, who they are, the prominent ones. But you basically shut your damn mouth and go along with all this cancellation stuff, even though you're supposed to be the people who would speak out most fervently against it. I mean, I'm sure you've been following this thing at the New York Times where the science reporter of 40 plus years was fired for using the N-word in a descriptive way, uh, not, 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 not insulting anyone with it, but asking a, a student about it. And he was fired and, and this, he's put up like four long blog posts detailing what happened. And it's just, it's this, I don't know if it's more like 1984 or it's more like Kafka's uh, The Trial or something, but it's just insane to read. And I don't even know how people can, can function, especially creative people or writers or people who are supposedly thinking for themselves can, uh, can uh, function in, in that kind of stifling intellectual environment. Um, I think it, I think it's sad for the New York Times. I think it's sad for us in general. I've asked people this. What what, what for example, should be the sanction against somebody who is a, a court stenographer? Are, is she supposed to or he's supposed to make, you know, edits in real time? If, if you know, if you're if you're reading back what somebody, you know, what, what about a detective, a detective who's saying this is what I heard the suspect say before the shooting happened? Is, is he is he supposed to be bleeped or is he going to actually be? canceled and fired for quoting words that he heard in the context of a criminal investigation. I mean, you start to go into this cra- this realm of of straight crazy town 
And another thing I think is 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 really problematic, and nobody else will say this, when you're going into the, the banning of words, but only some people aren't allowed to say the words, other people are, this is really just a power dynamic. I mean, this is actually something that people should reject on on a principle. It's not like it's a ban on a word because if, if, if it is ever heard or uttered. I mean, in some contexts, words that are banned for some people are celebrated in others, as we all know. And I think that this is a rule that really is just about making it's just about making some people bend the knee to the constantly changing whims of the left. It doesn't actually protect anyone or make it. I mean, everyone understands that using an ethnic slur or using a demeaning word about somebody's immutable characteristic is a a grotesque and immoral thing to do. But this goes way beyond that into even the repetition of somebody else saying the word specifically to understand what the word was is now a cancelable offense. Yeah, you make a great point on the court stenographer. Um, if now we have to bore into the soul of whoever's using whatever word and, and, and divine, or try to figure out uh, their intent, that's going to be a, a rough road. And as you say, certain people are empowered or bestowed with the power to decide who is using it correctly and who isn't. I mean, then it's just about power. Now, there's already stig- certain words have stigma attached to them. We don't use them and we don't say them. And normal, well-adjusted people don't use these words in a way uh, to insult other people. But, uh, you know, in, in the end, even if they do that, it doesn't mean they have to work at the New York Times, but we, are we going to, st- like, let's say Dr. Seuss used those words in the past. Are we going to now... Uh, get rid of his books everywhere because he was that kind of person. It seems uh, just these standards are, listen, I I mentioned this before, but literally I was just thinking about all the books. Uh, uh, Palianchuk, uh, Chuck Palianchuk wrote The Fight Club, a book that I love. I mean, it is, has misogynistic characters in it. So what are we going to do? Do we know that he isn't a misogynist? No, I'd have to go and like meet him before I know if I have to publish his book. You can't have these kind of standards in society. It doesn't work, especially in 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 an artistic way. Remember, 20, 30 years ago, you know, it was the left who was always like, we're going to ban books in libraries. They were the ones always concerned about it. It was in the Patriot Act, remember? It was such a big deal that the government would know what books you're taking out. And now they're perfectly fine with it, or they don't say anything, which is uh, bad enough for someone who's a journalist. We're speaking to David Harsanyi. He is a senior writer of National Review. And David, I wanted to get your take on the... Uh, the mobile, uh, the changing, malleable is the word I was really thinking of. The malleable journalistic ethics of of CNN as an organization, and more specifically Chris Cuomo. Look, I understand this. I don't care what my job is, what I'm doing. I, I wouldn't be on TV uh, trashing a family member. And I mean, up to the point where they could say, you know, you do this or else. And I'd say, I'll take the or else. Like, that's just a, that's a point of honor and pride for me. And I wouldn't do it. However... If I were holding myself out as a journalist, I would also have shied away from doing a propaganda variety hour in favor of a politician during a pandemic because he was my brother. And I think that CNN should have known that, too, as a, quote, news organization. Yeah, well, two things. They're not a news organization. They're just kind of this corrupt institution that pretends to do journalism. They are the wor- that's the worst, worst of all of them, worse than MSNBC because they pretend not to be on the left, which is there. They're just a propaganda unit. But more than that with Chris Cuomo, um, they keep pretending that the problem is that he isn't covering what's going on now with his brother. 
No, the problem is that he covered up for his brother for a year. Now, he never should, as you mentioned, I would never go on there and badmouth my brother, even if it was true. I, wouldn't, I would just report something else. But the idea, no one wants that. I don't think any normal people want him to do that. They wanted him not to act, as you say, in this variety hour, covering up for a guy who was sending people to, uh, to die in, in nursing homes. And for me... Listen, I think that these accusations against Cuomo are serious. I hope he's afforded the due process that liberals never give conservatives like Brett Kavanaugh. They're serious allegations, but the, de- the using government to kill people is an even more serious allegation, and people still aren't talking about it. Even the left, which is now supposedly, you know, the reason, of course, is timing of why they don't care about Cuomo now, but even they are not really getting into the, his worst, the worst sins of how he acted like a dictator, basically, and, uh, you know, destroy the lives of many people. So just to go back, Chris Cuomo's problem is not the coverage, as you mentioned, but the not the I mean, the not not covering, but the coverage itself. And I have to say that this this idea um, that the media was honest in the way that it was portraying Governor Cuomo in the past. I mean, I, I know that that's not true because you and I were having conversations six months ago about the gross slobbering love affair that the mainstream media was having, the corporate media was having with Cuomo as the the governor of New York. And I also put it in my many, many, many exhibits of what a complete jackass Dr. Fauci is and what awful, awful judgment he has. He was pointing to, to Andrew Cuomo as the gold standard. I mean... What else do you have to if this guy was my private physician, I would never I wouldn't even go let him, you know, hit me on the knee to check my reflexes. Like I would go nowhere near this guy and he's still allowed to make all these policies. Yeah, he's, he, he, he literally said the words, this is the way to do it or, or he's done it the right way and the rest of the country should follow. Why doesn't anyone ask him about that? Why doesn't anyone ask him how he feels about that and why he made another big giant mistake in the past? No one, no one, no one challenges that guy um, with any access. But yeah, we we were talking about this probably I don't know when exactly, but probably in April already, right? I mean, we, we every, there were some local reporters that noted that he had fudged the numbers on the on the deaths at nursing homes way back in I think it was April or May. I think it, it, they were at the Associated Press and some other. Uh, organization in Albany. People knew the main main media, the political media, the big time Chris Cuomo's of the world and everyone who's on TV covered it up for him and they wouldn't report it and they ignored it. And, uh, you know, and now now they pretend that never happened. No one ever has to answer for those things in the media. They just go on, they make giant mistakes. They literally cost lives. Maybe it cost lives in this in this instance, or maybe they didn't cost lives, but they covered up something that was, you know, that might have had a lot to do with the high debt tolls in New York, frankly. So, and that spread from there to the rest of the country, by the way, um, even though I don't, you know, I don't know that that's exactly true. We can't know. I, I think the virus was going to go through America anyway, but what, what, the point is that they did not cover Donald Trump with that tone and, or DeSantis or any Republican. So it's just uh, completely misleading reporting that they, that was a year long thing. And now that we're supposed to reward them because they finally decided to uh, go after Chris, uh, Andrew Cuomo when it doesn't matter for Democrats anymore. David Harsani, everybody, nationalreview.com for his latest. David, thanks so much for joining. Thank you. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
Uh, these are disqualifying realities. How can anyone look the people in the face after that? If these, if these allegations, if these charges are proven, there's just no way he can govern. So that's a yes. You think that he'll, he should resign if any of these are, 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 are proven correct? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I, well, I have to know, just for viewers who are not familiar with New York politics, you have long had a contentious relationship with the governor. You guys have disagreed publicly on policy and other issues for, for, uh, for years and years. What do you say to a viewer who might see what you're saying and say, oh, this is just a personal vendetta? Uh, look, I've known the governor a long time. I used to work closely with the governor. I, I became increasingly disillusioned as have so many people who worked with him closely by what I saw. And, and the abusive behavior, the threatening behavior goes way back. It's gotten worse in many ways over the years, but it's not new. What you saw with Assemblyman Ron Kim when he literally the governor threatened his career because the assemblyman had the audacity to challenge the governor on the nursing home scandal. These are unacceptable practices. I said years ago this had to end. Uh, it's poisoning the reality of the state. And now, unfortunately, more and more of this is coming clear to us just how pervasive it is. Uh, but it can't go on like this. It just can't. So I, I would just say the facts are increasingly clear. It's not about anybody's personal viewpoint. It's about the facts. And, Jake, these facts are overwhelming. The facts are overwhelming. Uh, it's fascinating, isn't it, that the Cuomo scandal that you can tell really gets liberals energized, aggravated, fired up, is the sexual harassment of uh, female employees. Far more than the ordering of COVID-positive seniors to go back into nursing homes, many of whom d likely died uh, as a result of that decision. Right. They're, they're much more upset from what we can see. I mean, the media is much more angry at Governor Cuomo because of the female employee situation, which is is notable, is interesting, to put it mildly. Uh, I I'm, I'm, wish I could say I was, was shocked about this. I'm not shocked at all. Oh, I, I mentioned um, uh, earlier the situation with talking to, to our friend uh, David Harsani, the, the situation of the... Cuomo coverage at CNN and here's bro bro Cuomo speaking about this issue here's bro Cuomo telling us exactly why he can't cover it now play seven before we start tonight uh, let me say something that I'm sure is very obvious to you who watch my show and thank you for that you're straight with me I'll be straight with you obviously I'm aware of what's going on with my brother and obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively, and they will continue to do so. I have always cared very deeply about these issues, and profoundly so. I just wanted to tell you that there's a lot of news going on that matters also. So let's get after that now i have as i said no problem with him saying i can't cover my brother i if i if one of my brothers i've got two brothers great guys the best if one of my brothers was in some kind of public uh situation imbroglio a scandal like this whatever it may be i would not cover a scandal against a family member uh, i wouldn't do it no way i don't care but but you would know that, and I would tell people that right away. But also the, the the problem that people are pointing to now is that he was willing to do coverage of his brother 
during a pandemic when things were terrible and, and there was so much uh, fear and anxiety and need for speaking truth to power in the state of New York and across the country. I mean, the Cuomo story uh, as governor of New York was a national news story because of what New York was going through. And he covered that. And actually, they were doing jokes and it was all fun and games and, you know, no big deal. That's where the problem is. That's where the, the issue is here. And I, I have to note that the double standard from CNN is very obvious. Will this result in any actual consequences for Governor Cuomo? I don't I don't think so. I think he'll manage to stay through this, although Maggie Haberman of The New York Times shared this revelation, which I thought was interesting. Play 19. Look, hearing Andrew Cuomo apologize for anything is breathtaking. Uh, I have covered him on and off for 20 years, and I can't remember another time when he has done that. I think it speaks to the degree to which he knows he is in real trouble. I think he was trying to avoid having Tish James, the New York Attorney General, end up with an independent probe into what has happened. I think he resisted that repeatedly. I think ultimately he had to throw up his hands and give in to it yesterday. We saw multiple statements from his office come out about uh, such a probe, and eventually he appeared to just give in. Look, I think that that there have been many moments where Andrew Cuomo was in trouble politically over the last uh, 20 years. I think this one is is different. I, I do think it's worth noting about his statement, John, that he is saying that, you know, essentially it's her fault. She misinterpreted. Um, I was doing something. It had no intent at all, and it's on her. I think that a lot of women have heard that over the years, uh, and I think that uh, on any level in 2021, having an older man make comments like that to a subordinate, particularly a governor, uh, is jarring jarring indeed put it mildly but is this the end of governor cuomo we'll see but i don't think so you're in the freedom hut thanks for listening to the buck sexton show podcast get the latest from buck at bucksexton.com do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border i think that the uh, um, the answer is no uh, I think there is a challenge at the border that we are managing, and we have our resources dedicated to, to managing it. And so a lot of the things that you are, are talking about, you admit, take some time to implement. But right now you've got about 200 migrant children crossing the border every single day. Uh, CBP projected a peak of 13,000 unaccompanied children in the month of May, according to a report in Axios. Um, what is being done between now and then when you're able to implement all the things that you're talking about that you say will take time? Let me, let me answer that question with tremendous pride. Um, the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security are working around the clock seven days a week to ensure that we do not have a crisis at the border, that we manage the challenge as acute as the challenge is, uh, and they are not doing it alone. Not a crisis at the border, Biden's DHS chief uh, Mayorkas says. Not not a crisis at the border. We're, we're managing. It's fine. It's fine. Now, what's left unsaid during all this is the reason there's such a surge to the border, the reason so many people are showing up, is because they know that Joe Biden is the president and there will be an amnesty if he gets his way. And that means that now is a great time to get into the United States any way you can, any chance you get. That's why there's a surge at our border. It is because there's a Democrat of the White House. Let's remember that. There is a, a mass of illegality, a, a spike in illegality that is happening here because Joe Biden is the president. That's just a fact. That's just the reality. 
But I thought it was so interesting. Here you have DHS Secretary Mayorka saying there is no crisis. And here's former acting DHS chief uh, just from a couple months ago, Chad Wolf, talking about the border. He's got a different take. Play nine. And so when you say there's no crisis on the border, I believe the department's losing credibility with the American people, but also with your DHS frontline officers. Many of them have not gotten the vaccine. Uh, I know the department's working hard at getting them the vaccine, but the, the reality is they don't have it yet. Um, and so when you're allowing thousands, uh, up to 4,000 folks coming across that border, and you're sending a signal that more and more will likely come, you're asking your DHS law enforcement officers uh, to be put in a very difficult position. These are folks that are coming across the border that have no medical papers, uh, that have no idea in many cases. We have no idea what their medical history is. We have no idea if they've had any type of vaccines of any kind. Uh, and so it's very difficult to administer uh, medical care to them. And so you're doing that on an everyday basis. And then you overlay that with what's going on with COVID along that southwest border. Uh, and it's becoming very, very dangerous. And I just, you know, if you're not square and you're not straight with the American people, I think uh, you're putting, uh, you know, you're putting a lot of people at danger. We know the Democrats are not going to be straightforward with the American people. That's not going to happen when it comes to immigration. They're always speaking out of both sides of their mouth. It's always one thing when the cameras are rolling and another thing when the activists are talking to them on the phone with no one listening. Right. It's, it's different stories depending on who the audience is. Because ultimately, this all comes down to a, a, there's some very basic concepts, some very basic ideas. One is that the Democrats fundamentally do not believe, they do not accept the notion that there is some uh, problem with coming into the country illegally. You have to remember that. They, they don't view it as something that should be stopped. They view it as something that should be managed there's nothing wrong with illegal entry in the United States. There's no downside to illegal entry in the United States. That's what the Democrats believe. It's only political realities in some states that makes them go through the motions of even acting like they think this is a, a, an issue, a problem. Uh, remember, well, on the one hand, the Democrats are saying we want that they believe in some form of border security and that there's no crisis. And on the other hand, the Democrats are all in favor of sanctuary cities, which is just the open lawlessness of a major American cities working to defy federal law enforcement on an issue that should be entirely legitimate and from which they should be able to derive a lot of cooperation. But they don't get that cooperation, as we know. There's no interest in that cooperation. Why? Democrats have something else in mind. They view this as a source of new votes. That's all this is. Ultimately, that's the single most important thing Democrats recognize that they will they will be the beneficiaries from the legalization of illegal immigrants. And also they believe that they're the greater dependency that illegal immigrants have on the state in general than than other immigrants and then other Americans will result in the party of the state. The Democrats getting more votes. That's what this is. It's a power play. You see, it's a power play. And uh, we have. DHS Secretary Mayorkas making that pretty clear when he's saying, look, guys, not not right now. Let's get this set up so we can process all the illegals and, and not have anybody think that there's a kids in cages situation here or a, a kids in a in an overflow detainment facility or whatever. They're coming up with all these new, you know, uh, like, oh, no, we're not we're not having we don't have kids that are being detained. 
We have kids who are getting a free tour of DHS's, you know, Willy Wonka's chocolate factory or something, right? That's, oh, yeah, no, it's all great now. Biden's team is just so much more humanitarian, so much better than the team before. Uh, the issue ultimately has to has to turn into, do we want people just to be able to show up and stay in the United States? Do we have an open border if you come on foot? Because remember, if you can just show up on foot at our southern border, why shouldn't anyone be able to just fly here and stay here from anywhere in the world? What's the what's the moral? What's the ethical difference? What's the the legal difference, really? I mean, then people just fly to Mexico and walk across. Why go through the why go through the legal immigration process? Well, here's DHS Secretary Mayorkas again talking to uh, illegal immigrants. Play one. We are progressing every single day. Uh, I don't have a particular timeline, uh, but all I can do is communicate both to the American public and to the individuals seeking protection that we are working around the clock seven days a week to make that time frame as short as possible, but they need to wait. But they need to wait with a particular goal in mind. We are not saying don't come. We are saying don't come now because we will be able to deliver um, a safe and orderly process to them uh, as quickly as possible. Um, there have been, uh, I understand, uh, approximately 105 families reunited in, in, in uh, the recent past. Uh, that is through the extraordinary efforts of council and others in the community. Uh, we are joining uh, with council, with members of the community uh, to work on this, and Michelle will be full-time, and we are dedicating resources full-time across the government uh, and the Department of Homeland Security specifically uh, to this effort. The urgency of it cannot be overstated. We're not saying don't come. We're saying don't come now because we will be able to deliver a safe and orderly process to them. So it's not, hey, illegal immigrants, why don't you go through the legal uh, legal immigration process because that's why we have it. It's hold on, hold on, illegal immigrants. We're getting everything. We're getting all the facilities and everything set up and make it really nice and get the whole process going so we can get you into the United States as quickly as possible. We can help you in your end run on the immigration system um, by pretending that somehow this is what this is what asylum is supposed to do. I mean, people were lying about this so much. It was very frustrating in the early days. Oh, it's completely legal what they're doing. This is asylum. This is what everyone's saying. It's asylum. No. Crossing into the country, not at a port of entry, is illegal. To just cross the border, that is an illegal act. And then not showing up for your hearing, which a majority of the people that go through this process, that's also an illegal act. So we all know what the game is here. Um, But, you know, liberals would just sort of hold on to the formality of, oh, no, it's the process, it's the process. You know, this would be like saying, okay, why do we have bail for some people in court? You know, let me just say, if some guy's facing a double life sentence for murder and he's, you know, got a a hundred million dollars of cash in his bank account, access to, you know, private jets and yachts, do do you let him out and say, oh, well, or, or do you look at it and say, no, I think the incentives here for him to flee the country are pretty high. Right. No, you make a rational decision based upon the facts presented to you. Does anyone really think that an illegal illegal immigrant who shows up at the border and, and recites the I have a credible fear lines that they've all been coached to say, they really think they're going to show up for their hearing? you really believe that? Mm, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think we should all be honest about that. I think we should all be truthful 
about that. And uh, the Democrats won't be. And here their DHS secretary is even willing to say, don't come yet, please. Just give us a little more time. Let's get closer to amnesty. Let's get further along this pathway so the Democrats, with the midterms in view, can actually get something done, can actually put it through. Um, but look, the, the, the good news is that Tom Cotton, for example, believes the Biden, the Biden amnesty is not going to be able to make it through the Congress. Play eight. In my eight years in the Congress, two in the House when I helped stop the terrible Gang of Eight bill in 2013 and then six years in the Senate, the Senate Republicans have gotten much tougher on the border, much stronger on an immigration system that works for working Americans, not just for illegal aliens and, and foreigners. So I'm pretty confident that we've got the votes to stop it in the Senate. However, we can't take our eye off the ball what Joe Biden is doing through executive action, rolling back a lot of Donald Trump's very common sense America first policies. Like today, literally, our government is seeking out illegal aliens in Mexico that Donald Trump turned away and inviting them to come back to the border. This is going to be a, the central uh, policy fight after COVID and the reopen, which hopefully in at least a year's time will be a largely finished issue. We won't have to really think about it much anymore. Uh, sooner than that is, is my belief. I mean, I think that we should be at full reopen in June based on the numbers that I'm seeing right now. And when I say full reopen, I mean like back to normal. I don't mean, oh, we don't have to do this. No, no, no. I mean like uh, life is normal again. Based on the trend right now in June, that certainly seems entirely uh, reasonable. And I mean, I, I would even go faster than that, but I'm just saying that that's my hope. Maybe it'll be so, maybe the level of virus will be so low in June is what I'm, what I'm trying to say here, that even Democrats will realize they can't keep this lockdown nonsense going that is my hope that is my my desire but immigration is going to be absolutely central fight here with the uh, Biden administration and and this is so much a continuation of what we saw from the Obama administration too what were the big three policy areas for Obama health care climate immigration those were the big areas where they were trying to get massive things done now they did get the Obamacare bill through which was a which was kind of just a bloated disaster, but they they tried the Gang of Eight bill, and that didn't work, and then they wanted through executive orders because they couldn't get Congress to go along. Uh, they they wanted to get something massive done on climate, and that didn't really work either. So we're just returning now. I mean, th- what you're getting here is Obama's third term with Joe Biden pretending to be the president. Really, that's what this is, and that's why immigration is going to be so central here. The activists want it. The elites want it. Big business wants it. And it's going to be up to the American people and members of Congress holding the line here against it. That's it. Otherwise, amnesty is going to happen. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. The filibuster is something that gives Mitch McConnell a veto. And that has to stop. We watched him use it during the Obama administration, uh, and he is already using it now during the Biden administration. We weren't elected to come here and be a debating society that gives Mitch McConnell a veto on every single piece of legislation that is needed to help American families. The filibuster. 
Remember what we've we've been saying all along here. The Democrats will make this they'll make this big case for how oh we didn't want to. The Republicans made us do it. They made us get rid of the filibuster. That's what they're going to say um, because they know that they're going to have a problem here in the Senate. Otherwise, they don't have the sixty votes. They might not even have the they might not even have fifty one votes on uh, illegal uh, on illegal immigration reform amnesty whatever they're going to call it. But get ready for the steamroller. The Democrats will do it if they can. They see a pathway to power. They see a a means of ramming through their preferred policy outcome. They'll do it. It doesn't matter what norms are trampled on. It doesn't matter what, you know, challenges this leaves for the republic. No, 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 no. They will do it. I really, really see this. I believe this. That's where they're going. I mean, here we are hearing from Senator Cotton that they're going to hold up. uh, They're going to hold up amnesty in the Senate. And you'll notice Elizabeth Warren saying, no, we're going to get rid of the filibuster. We're going to get rid of it. Mm. And what comes after amnesty? Oh, statehood for uh, for D.C. and Puerto Rico, perhaps. That's certainly something that they want. But if they get amnesty, the political winds change so dramatically, they think that they'll be able to get everything else. That's where this is all heading. That's what they are intending to do here, to fundamentally transform the American political landscape so that it is essentially what the Democrats want it to be. And there's some, there's other stuff they want, too. Here's uh, Warren. Elizabeth Warren, you know, you know what we really need? You know, you know, what? oh, gosh, golly, you know what America needs? A wealth tax. Play 15. I'd be delighted to see us move forward with the wealth tax at any point. Uh, It's something we need in America, and that's why we're out here today. We're putting it out so everyone can see it and start to talk about it. It's got a lot of details in how it works. It's got things like what the the rate will be for uh, 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 monitoring the income and uh, checking out each of the billionaires that are subject to it and the ultra-millionaires. Uh, but we want to put it out there so people can start to consider it and put it in a package. We need to move forward on this. Put it in a package. That's right. just, just put it in that package. Oh, gosh. Wealth tax has been tried in many other countries. It, it ends up not working, um, and it creates all kinds of unintended consequences. But at, at least at least Democrats are starting to concede that this, this uh, oh, we're just going to tax the rich to pay for everything. That doesn't work. The rich pay capital gains. The rich own assets. It's the people that are struggling. Even if they make a high salary, it's the people that are, are giving their time for money. They're the ones that are, are bearing most of the tax burden. And so that's why they look for these alternative mechanisms. But ultimately, taxes are just uh, it's just state regulated theft, my friends. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. States from Massachusetts to Missouri lifting some COVID restrictions as vaccinations near 77 million and daily cases stall at 65,000. But health officials warn relaxing rules could lead to a fourth surge. That's a headline from the Daily Mail. I want to talk to somebody who knows very well about what's going on in the states and at the federal government level when it comes to COVID and everything else. 
Congressman Andy Biggs from the great state of Arizona. Congressman Biggs, good to have you on. Buck, good to be with you. I have to tell you, I see the good news about the plummeting COVID, not just infections, but hospitalizations and deaths, and it's all trending in the right direction. And, Congressman, we've got the same voices that have been over-projecting uh, cases and deaths and hospitalizations at, at different phases of the pandemic. Now telling everybody, wait, 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 don't you, you can't go back to normal until we say so. It just feels like when is it enough with these people? Well, Buck, I just don't think that uh, there's ever going to be enough. I mean, when you think about this, they're the left, they're the hard left that, that are making these decisions in this administration and then Congress and cities and states that are that are imposing these draconian measures they're authoritarians and uh i mean this was supposed to be two weeks so we flatten the curve so we can not overrun our hospitals well hospitals have not been overrun for months schools have been closed even though the data from all over the world says they should be open uh they've not taken into account any secondary or tertiary uh problems that come when you lock down economies and keep kids out of schools uh they don't care they really don't care. And I view this as a control project at this point. How is your state of, of Arizona handling this? We could be doing better. Uh, we got a lot of schools that are closed. We've got um, a lot of businesses still shut down. Uh, we've, there's still specific industries. I mean, you know, bars, gyms, those types of things are still uh, closed down, even though uh, testimony a few months back was from the health department uh, official said, They've never found a a uh, case originating either at a bar or a gym, and still they were shutting them down. So it it it's been really inconsistent, and that's and that's been consistent for all over the country. You know, the, these these rules haven't made much sense. What is the the main area? I mean, you're you're in the Congress. You know what's in the, what's in this bill, the so-called COVID relief bill. That, from what I understand, only nine percent of it actually deals with addressing COVID. Well, what are some of the main things that people should know about? that the, the Democrats are insisting has to go into this $1.9 trillion spending package? Well, number one, they're still trying to find a way to get the, the minimum wage across the finish line. I don't think that works. But the, the main thing that most money here is going to bail out, is going to bail out um, cities and counties and towns that have been really draconian on shutting down their states. And so we're basically bailing them out, you know, and one governor said, well, with all the money, we're going to be we're going to have more than enough to pay off our debt, our state debt. That's what most of that money's going. Then there's there's money going overseas. There's seven or three quarters of a billion dollars going overseas, 400 million dollars going to test animals to see, you know, is there some animal that's a little maybe a little bit more susceptible to the catching covid than not? That's what this type of stuff that's in this bill. There's also. Nancy Pelosi's subway system, Chuck Schumer's bridge system. Uh, it's, a, it's just a, a major uh, pork rolling, uh, you know, uh, log rolling pork project that 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 that's what it is. Tell me when you t- Nancy Pelosi's subway system. I mean, I'm here in New York City. To, we know we got a subway. What's Nancy Pelosi want? Yeah, they got to get a subway from San Francisco out to to the valley there where Google and all the high-tech companies are. And so that's where they're going right now. Unbelievable. We're speaking to, uh, we're speaking to our friend Andy Biggs. He's a congressman from out in Arizona. 
And you know what? What do you think? Uh, what do you think the the schedule of school reopen is going to look like as we continue? We, we've got cases dropping now. We still have many places, including New York, where you have if those they're saying school is open. But in some in some cases, it's really dishonest because it's one day a week and it's four hours a day. And it, it's a total uh, sham of, of an actual in-person school instruction system. What, what's it going to yeah. take you, the congressman, for people to realize the school should have been open a long time ago? You know, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, the parents have got to be the ones that drive this anymore because. I've been trying to talk about this literally for months. I mean, the data was clear months and months and months ago that two, of two things. Number one, that kids weren't super spreaders and, and teachers weren't catching it from the kids, and they weren't bringing it home. That was the one important data point from around the world. That's where that data was coming from. The, the second thing is we also had all kinds of data beginning to um, emerge that um, kids were falling behind in school. There was depression. There was increased suicides or increased ideation of suicide. And uh, those two things are huge. I've, ta- I've talked to so many parents just, and I'm, that's data-driven, but I'm talking anecdotally. I've talked to parents who've told me, hey, look, my kid is, my kid is sullen. He's withdrawn. Uh, he, he can't be with his friends. He can't, he's suffering in school. He's falling behind. And, uh, you know, you have basically not just one year where some kids have not been to school and had uh, enough social contact in, in, in a year. It's actually longer than that. It will have it, it'll put them back further than just that single year. Tell me about your concerns um, when it comes to House Resolution 8 H.R. 1, the so-called For the People Act. <laughs> for, for the People Act. So Steny Hoyer said today, on the floor, I was in the debate this morning, and he said, uh, everything we do rests on the passage of this bill. And what he meant by that is keeping, he didn't mean this, I'm just being facetious, but what you can interpret it very clearly is everything that Democrats want to do and hold power depends on that bill. It is it is truly uh, a bill that's designed to, to keep these guys in power as much as possible. I mean, uh, you know, Buck, it's, it gives the uniparty swamp the power. It takes it away from the local electeds uh, and and the people, so the states and locals don't do that anymore. Politicians get six to one taxpayer dollars for their campaigns. Uh, no more voter identification laws. Uh, they're going to allow per, uh, a ballot harvesting. They're going to mandate nationwide mail-in balloting. Quite frankly, uh, it looks to me like they may want to... Uh, legalized cheating that's that's really what this boils down to yeah hey they just passed right before i got on with you buck they just passed an amendment that allows prisoners to vote and register from prison they're not even out yet they haven't even completed their term of of imprisonment anything the democrats can do to to skew things in their direction in an election we know that's what they're willing to do Congressman Andy Biggs of Arizona. Congressman, thanks as always. Appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Thank you, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. 
this is his party. If you don't get that, you missed a lot at CPAC. Donald Trump has the nomination right now, and nobody can take it away from him if he wants to run. And I think he's got a damn good chance of getting reelected again based on what the Democrats are doing to the country. But what I would tell President Trump, the real test for you and the Republican Party is 2022. Let's make sure we have our best candidates on the field. Let's don't have primaries of people who've been good Republican conservatives. Let's unite. And if we'll follow President Trump's lead, that we're going to be the United Republican Party, we're going to put our best team on the field in 2022, that sets the stage for a 2024 comeback. We've got a lot of talented people in the party, Sean. Did you find one person at CPAC criticized Donald Trump? I thought it was amazing that you have so many people wanting to be president on our side, but not one person would say anything bad about him that tells you a lot about the strength of President Trump. There's some truth in what Lindsey Graham is saying here, and there's some stuff that I would I'd take issue with. I, I agree the focus needs to be on the midterms. The focus needs to be on winning in 2022 for the party right now. And here we are. It's already March. Before you know it, it's going to be summer. Before you know it, it's going to be the end of the year. We're going to be talking about Christmas and and uh, New Year's. And then it's going to be an election year. I mean, this actually does move quickly. I know, you know, life moves fast. Election cycles move fast. So it's not it's not too far out to think about. And in fact, what we're doing now is laying the groundwork for what will be in those midterms. And It'll be it'll be a sweet, sweet day when I can come on this show and say to you, look at the big red wave we had, a, you know, a stunning win for Republicans in the House of Representatives and taking back the Senate, too. I think that would be great. And I think it's possible. Uh, it is necessary for Republicans to unite, uh, to unite around the issues that matter most to us and and. I also think it's important that we don't spend time, you know, there's a difference between being honest with each other as conservatives and unnecessarily attacking each other, right? I mean, the the Democrats, like, I I enjoy de Blasio slamming Cuomo. Like, it's fun. Like, it's fun to watch and listen because you feel like, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, what did Kissinger say about Iraq and Iran when they were at war? He hoped they could both lose. You know, Cuomo's awful. De Blasio's terrible. But Cuomo's a little more awful than de Blasio. And so watching him take it from his own side is entertaining. But, I mean, here's an example of what is not helpful. Here's Adam Kinzinger. Play five. Did you really think that his speech was boring, (laughs) low energy, and weak, as you wrote? I really did, because I think if that was the first time we had heard Donald Trump speak, it would be shocking, you know, all that stuff. And but it was the same exact. I mean, you literally could have you could have given that he could have given that speech in September. And with the exception of having talked about impeachment, it would have been the same speech he gave this time. He had no new ideas. It was just I mean, to me, it looked like somebody that just needed his monthly dose of, of adoration in front of a crowd. So I really was bored. I mean, I honestly I watched it because I knew he was going to call my name out and I wanted to be able to, you know, to, to know how to respond and what was said. But it was a hard speech to get through because I was just like, you know, looking at my phone a lot. Yeah, sure, buddy. I'll tell you this. Republicans who do the bidding of Democrats uh, are are gutless and shameful. There's a difference. You can speak the truth as a Republican and I'm going to. 
Because I'm telling you right now, there's going to be, I know right now that the, the momentum is for just Trump to be Trump all over again, the same people, the same cast of characters, and I'll support Trump when he runs for re-election, don't get me wrong. But I want, you know, Trump 2.0. I want Trump with people around him who are smart, who will speak the truth to him, and who are going to focus him in on actually uh, getting the agenda done, enacting it, not just talking about it. Okay, we, we did not do we did not do Trump any favors by just having in, in conservative media in particular a, a, a cheerleader section for everything he did all the time. And it was frustrating for me for the, for those times. And there weren't that many of them. And I'm not pretending like there were. But those times when I broke with the president on something or I didn't like something he did or said and everybody was, you know, get on the MAGA train or off all the time. Well, hold on a second. Can I help, you know, you know, you know, fix uh a broken light on the MAGA train? I mean, can't can't we have a conversation about this? I think that's a shift in the mentality around Trump that has to happen. Because otherwise, I'll tell you this, he's going to lose if he runs again. If, if he's got the same people around him that ran the last election, the same advisors, he's going to lose again. And we need to understand that right now. I'm not saying he will lose again no matter what. I'm saying unless there are changes. I, I think those changes can be made and will be made. But, you know, we've, we've got a lot of people now that are saying, well, you know, we really should have thought more about mail-in ballots. And, you know, we're yeah, there are, pre- there are people around the president who are paid to look at these issues. There, there's a, a campaign that's paid to bring these lawsuits ahead of time so that they can't stack the deck in favor of the other candidate. And we missed that opportunity. We missed that opportunity. And on messaging discipline, uh, a lot of what the president was saying after the election wasn't helpful. It wasn't helpful, and some of it wasn't true. So that's also a problem. All right, he's we've, we've got to really keep it real on this stuff. It can't just be, oh, great, Trump's going to swoop in and save us, and we don't have to worry about this anymore, and he's got it all, and it's not going to it's not going to be that easy. All right, we Trump lost by five million votes in this last election. Okay, Biden beat him in a half a dozen states, swing states. All right. Georgia looks like it's blue. Virginia is definitely blue. I and mean, we've lost territory. We can't even count on Arizona. Think about that. So there's a lot of work to be done on this one. And that's why, when, you know, when Lindsey Graham says nobody will criticize Trump, I understand politicians aren't going to criticize Trump unnecessarily or out of spite. Then you're doing the Democrats work. Right. There's criticism that's meant to tear down and there's criticism that's meant to make better. We owe it to. MAGA to America first to the ideas that caught on among Republicans and conservatives in 2015 and 2016 so much we owe it to them to do it the right way and to have the you know he kept saying the best team on the field he Lindsey Graham was saying that uh, when it comes to Congress I'm here to say yeah we, we also want the best team on the field when it comes to Trump and if that's going to be Trump leading the charge I want to make sure that the people that are around him, the people that he'll be counting on for advice can actually advise him and, and present him with with guidance that he'll listen to and that it won't just be people around him all vying for the, uh, you know, the public adoration of Trump himself, because that that translates into dollars and cents that that makes people that makes people money and that makes them famous. You know, this was uh, this was a challenging administration in a lot of ways in this regard because people were not willing 
to cross Trump at all. And, and I don't mean going over to the Kinzinger, Lincoln Project, Mitt Romney side of things where you're doing the Democrats dirty work for them. I mean, saying, hold on a second, Mr. President, you know, we we got to We got to follow through on this promise that was made. You know, hold on a second. When you say the wall was built. No, the wall was not built. Some sections of it were were improved or increased. And, you know, and we can you can always make excuses for things not getting done. And there was a lot of that going on under Trump. Uh, people would say, oh, but they've stood in his way. And oh, but yeah, that's politics. The promise that, that Trump made when he ran the first time around wasn't I'm going to build a big, beautiful wall unless the Democrats say no. It was I'm going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it, actually. And the wall did not get built and Mexico did not pay for it. Uh, some of the wall got built. Some additional wall got built. Um, but as we see, that that was not what the promise was. That was not what led. That was not what people were chanting at the rallies. Build some wall. OK, it wasn't build some wall. So I, I want this show to be a place where I can continue to tell you what I think is true about everything, including the prospect of a of a Trump uh, reelection and how we get there. So I'm going to support the president, but I, but I want to do it like somebody who is within the family, uh, so to speak, not actually in the family, because we know that's a problem, too, uh, within the family and and wants what's best for the movement, for the people, for the American people. And that's going to require honesty. Blind allegiance to everything Trump says and tweets and does. Let us and, and and every every person he hires is brilliant and he hires the best people. All that that whole mentality led us into an election where we lost Georgia and Arizona and we're down five million plus votes. I don't want us repeating that. I want a Trump victory the next time around, which means honesty going forward. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right. We got roll call. Roll call time is the best time. We got producer Mark telling us all the important things going on in Mark world. Anything, buddy? The, are, are the uh, are the Rangers going to win the Heisman, uh, you know, in the finals? What in the world did you just say? Whatever. You, you know what I mean. Do you know the words there, that came out of your mouth? There's some sports thing that's happening. When is the cup of the Stanley going to get handed out? Cup of the, well, I mean, it's still not even mid-season yet. Oh, I actually thought it was pretty close to the end. I, I well, usually it would be, but they started late, so. Oh, yeah. fair enough. See, see, I, I, I know some things without even knowing some things. That's how, that's how I do things. That's how the Buckster rolls. You do know what the Heisman is, though, right? Yeah, yeah, oh, I know football. Okay. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm being a jerk, but I'm just saying. I, there's a fo- I don't really know what's going on, so I figured I'd ask you what's going on, and you would tell me. Sure. I mean, baseball's Who- starting. The spring training's getting going. And the, the, the are are some states about to open up stadiums to something more like 50% capacity, or is it still very, very low? It depends on the state, really. I mean, Florida is, is usually where most of spring training is, and Arizona. I know, I mean, I'm, I have uh, the Met game on right now, and there's fans in the stands. Uh, it's not full capacity. I think it's 
Florida, you know how Florida is. They allow 100% capacity, but MLB is limiting it still. So it's up to the league in Florida, but it's up to certain states depending on how much they open. All right. That makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Anything else going on? No, nothing really. Still haven't watched the boys on on Amazon Prime, but we're going to. You're just going to bring this up every day until I do it, or not every once a week, once a week. Okay, your weekly update. Yeah, weekly update. All right, here we go, Eric. Question: I live in NYC. What's the best way to circle back and tell all the libs who called me crazy when I said Cuomo was a disgrace? I have the receipts in the form of texts, etc. Do I rent a billboard? Local commercial, please advise. Side note, the celebs, et cetera, need to be called out for their love affair with Cuomo and the other criminals. Well, Eric, I know the feeling because I was doing stories here in New York on radio in particular during the pandemic where I was pointing out to everybody, uh, this guy Cuomo is is not actually in any way a hero. And what he's doing is not rooted in the science, and he's a bully and a thug and a tyrant, and uh, he's ruining a lot of lives. And that was before I even knew about the full scope of the uh, nursing home disaster. So Cuomo is awful. I mean, make no mistake about it. Cuomo is uh, a person who really does need to be held to account. What do you say to the people who didn't recognize that before? That's tough. That's a tough one because I feel like they don't really... They don't really understand um, why it is that they were wrong in the first place. They would think, oh, it's just a surprise. And, you know, you don't really you don't really know somebody until you know them. You know, that kind of a thing. But no, we, we should have been able anyone should have been able to see this in advance. Anybody should have been able to know in advance what the situation was with Cuomo, because his reputation has always been terrible. And the decisions that he made were stunningly, uh, you know, self self promotional in many ways. So you got a guy who's a jerk, who's really just promoting himself during a time of true crisis, a health crisis in his state. Uh, it should not have been hard for people to figure out what a disaster this guy was, but they they didn't. Uh, and and as for those who no, there, there's never any accountability for this with celebrities, Eric, or anything else. In fact, the problem, and I, I always try to tell people this, the problem is that the incentives are structured such that being wrong with this stuff is actually to your, it, it, you still got the benefit, so it doesn't matter, right? It, it's saying, this is true of the media as well. Cuomo was useful as a means of attacking Donald Trump during the election. That now it looks like they were propping this guy up and that he's awful does not matter. Does not matter, really, because they just change their coverage now when it doesn't actually hurt the overall Democrat Party. And and I still think that Cuomo is going to manage to uh, get through all this. I, I think that Cuomo is likely to stay in his role and, and would even consider at this point running for for uh, for office again. I don't think that Cuomo thinks he's done no, quite the opposite. You know, if you've ever seen the movie The Wire, there's a politician. I believe he's a councilman in Baltimore, Baltimore. And I mean, they've just got him absolutely nailed on. Uh, I haven't seen The Wire in a long time. A fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, uh, a lot of cursing and violence. And, you know, it's it's very realistic in ways that can be kind of haunting. And it's not it's not a, it's not like a fun watch, but it's really engaging. It's a very good, good series for what it is. 
But there is a, uh, a local politician in Baltimore and, and the they've got him on some corruption thing. And I forget. I think he's I think he's talking to Stringer Bell about this, but I, I may be getting my quotes mixed up. But he's basically saying to him, you don't you're a politician. You don't give up and go down without a fight. You use the power you have to try to stay in power. Well, what do you mean? You lean into this. You don't go away to prison quietly and, and pay, uh, you know, pay your debt to society. You make this political. You know, you make this about something else. Doesn't matter that you were engaged in. I think it was a mortgage fraud. Actually, they got him in the wire. Doesn't matter that you're guilty. You're you're a, a Democrat, you know, a, a Democrat demagogue in Baltimore. Go for it. And that's what he does. And I don't want to spoil it, but you can figure out how it goes. So, yeah, I don't know that people should be called out, but they won't be, Eric. So just be aware of that. David. Hey, Buck, Representative Paul. uh uh, is it Gosar, Gosar, Gozer, Keymaster of Gozer uh, of Arizona, wanted to add an amendment to the coronavirus bill of $1.9 trillion that would strip foreign aid and all the spending it doesn't relate to coronavirus and give the American people a $10,000 check. And the Democrats said no. Surprise, surprise, surprise. They really don't want to help American people. They're looking after their billionaire corporate friends and union buddies. They can get their kickback later. Uh, yeah, David, I mean, they're, they're definitely not going to strip out all the non COVID stuff in the bill because they really want all the non COVID stuff in the bill because this is how Democrats, uh, this is how Democrats are able to wield power. If you're a member of Congress, your ability to spend money on different things for different constituencies and special interests and groups, that's where you derive your power from. That's what gives you your power. So I would just note that's uh, that's important to to remember here. There's no way they want to strip that stuff out. They have no interest in stripping it out. Um, yep. So that's true. And union buddies and, and billionaire corporate friends. Yes, they they are very pro the Democrat Party and will continue to be. Candy. Roll call, lucky you at CPAC. Our fine Florida governor would love to have you and producer Mark and your families as Tampa Bay residents. Come live in a red state where our Champa Bay sports teams are the title holders too. I'll even register you guys to vote here. Shields, extra high. Producer Mark, Tampa Bay, how you feeling about it? Well, it sounds like a lovely town. I won't be rooting for your teams, unfortunately, because I have to root for my awful teams. But Wait a second. Are still. you really so loyal to your New York Mets and your New York Rangers that even if you move to Florida, you think you'd continue to root for those old teams? Oh, yeah, 100%. They're, they're in my blood. They're part of my life. How is the whole billionaire owner of the Mets thing going right uh, so far? Oh, it's going great. Are you guys buying amazing players? Uh, I mean, they traded for one of the best players in baseball, Francisco Lindor, and now they're, uh, they're a team that could win a World Series, and that's all you can ask for. They have the tools. Oh, that must be exciting. It is. I am extremely excited uh, for the upcoming season. Yeah. There we go. Candy, I'll, if I move down to Tampa, I'll root for anybody, any team. I don't even know what the – there's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There's the – is there the Tampa Bay Lightning? Isn't that a team? That is a team. They, are the, they were the Stanley Cup champions, yes. Right. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They won two of the major titles. 
And uh, there's the, what else is there in Tampa? There is First. a baseball team, the Tampa Bay Rays, who went to the World Series and lost to the Dodgers. So they almost Wow, won so Tampa is like, I mean, WFLA Tampa folks, they're, they're like getting a little spoiled with all their teams winning stuff. I didn't even realize. Yeah, they're like Boston South right now. Oh, man. All right, so they got a lot, a lot of victories, a lot of victories for Tampa. That's very cool. I didn't even realize that. Um, yeah, I'd love it. I, my my dad, I think, is actually going to go down and visit friends in Tampa in a few weeks, and I, I would love to get down there too. But it's tough. I got to leave producer Mark behind. He'll miss me. I got things. I got to get a studio set up, and it's not easy. It's not easy. There's I a lot mean, to do. We already haven't seen each other in almost a year. It's almost the year anniversary since the last time we saw each other. I know, but as restaurants open here, I I, I owe you like a steak or whatever. What's your favorite? When uh, when the Buck Sexton show is paying for producer Mark's meal, what is the preferred? We go in steaks. Is that the I move? Mean, I can't not say steak. Hmm. That's like is, a celebratory kind of meal, right? I would think so. Yeah, yeah. but some, for some people, they want you know like the best Italian restaurant you can go to, or they want. You can't I know go some wrong people. I know I know some bougie folks for whom the answer would be sushi, because there are some really pricey sushi restaurants out there. You're like, what? How can you spend that much money on raw fish? Yeah, but I'm not a raw fish eater, so I'd get all the cooked stuff and they would laugh at me. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a fancy sushi restaurant, if you went in there and ordered like a Philadelphia roll, they might be like, no, they, you got to go. They would politely or not so politely ask me to leave. Yeah. I was, at, I, was at, I was at a sushi restaurant not long ago where one member of my party wanted to get spicy sauce added to a, a roll. It was, it was a very traditional and, and, and very uh, high-end sushi place, and the guy was like, no. No, no, we don't. We don't do that. <laughs> it was yeah. like, uh, what do you, what do you mean you don't do that? They're like, no, no, not for that role. Can't do that for that role. It was like, okay. I mean, I guess they're the experts, right? Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, you know, it's their establishment. They can serve you whatever they want to serve you, right? But it was kind of funny. It was like, uh, hey, I will say it wasn't me. I'm not. I go with what, whatever the house rules are in a sushi place. That's how I roll. So, anyway, uh, Lauren. Hi, Team Buck. I found your program by accident one night while listening to the radio, but I'm so glad I did. Now I listen every night at 6 p.m. when your show is aired. I live in Orange County, California, and I can attest that the wokeness is real. I'm a college student at Cal State Long Beach. I'm listening to the Smith College scandal that you reported about. It's crazy because that sounds like things that I've experienced at Long Beach. I appreciate hearing your voice of reason after listening to my liberal college professors all day. I'm studying to be a high school math teacher. I hope more Republicans can work to change education. Thank you for being a beacon of reason in this liberal world. Tell producer Mark I say hi, too. I love hearing conversations about sports. I know about the same about sports as you do. Shields high, Team Buck. Lauren, welcome to Team Buck. Great to have you. We love when uh, Team Buck college folks are uh, are in the mix and please lauren tell your friends either to listen on whatever station you're listening on out there in california or um i'm guessing it probably is keib los angeles but whatever station you're listening on uh, or please tell them to listen on the podcast uh, you know there's a lot of folks i think out there who if they just knew if my my belief is always that if someone's conservative and they like they like audio content they listen to the buck sexton show podcast i've got a new podcast listener we just got to just get people to try it. There are there there are folks out there who don't even know I'm doing a podcast. They think of me as a radio host or they think of me as you know something else. So, uh, Lauren, that's uh, it's great to hear from you. Thank you so much. And please to your your friends at uh, at Long Beach, 
uh, Cal State Long Beach. Uh, tell them about the Buck Sexton Show. You got this new show you like. Spread the word. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, next up we have Dave who writes, Hey, Buck, love the show today. You're dead on uh, with labor, supply, and demand. The two most fundamental concepts in economics in college were the balance of scarce resources and unlimited demand. That's the backbone of free markets. The second is the acronym TANSTIFL. There ain't no such thing as a free lunch. It's clear these Democrats have no understanding of how free markets actually work. They They want to flood the market. Uh, with uh, cheap labor and then increase the minimum wage. Democrats don't care. They've sold the lie there is such a thing as a free lunch and they think that people will work their butts off to pay for it. Keep up the great work with producer Mark. Producer Mark, can you please assure Dave that you plan to keep up the great work? I do plan on keeping up the great work, I promise. There you go. So you, you heard it from Mark himself. Mark cannot tell a lie. Uh, as for loving the show, you've got great con- you've got great taste in radio shows and... Um, there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. Certainly true. Important thing for everybody to remember. And uh, Democrats, though, they they want the minimum wage passed, not because it'll help people and not because of what it will actually do, but because they like to tell everybody, oh, look, we passed minimum wage stuff. That's what gets them excited. Uh, you know, because it's it's a very emotional subject for people. People feel very strongly about it. So the facts around it don't really matter. Craig writes, hey, Buck, I'm actually a pilot for Frontier, and I've reached out to the flight crew regarding the Miami LaGuardia flight being canceled. They assure me it had nothing to do with the child. They said a large group of individuals that refused to comply with the flight crew and the federal mandate issued by Biden in January. It's odd that there isn't any video prior to the people being asked to deplane. I'm hoping the truth gets out there since this makes our airline look really bad. Thanks for listening. P.S. We love the show. Try to never miss an episode. Craig, thank you so much for uh, for what sounds like uh, critical information here about a story we talked about yesterday with Frontier Airlines. And, you know, this is one of the dangers of our you know, Internet, social media age where stories get out there and it becomes a story before anybody's even really been able to get some of the, the key reporting facts in place. I did not see any official statement about this or anything that contradicted the narrative that was reported on. But I, I completely concede that it's possible that, yeah, maybe there were adults because it seems so crazy, doesn't it? You're 18 because the CDC guidance isn't even in line with that. So, uh, Craig, I, I will tell you, as uh, I know you're reaching out as a pilot for Frontier, we will follow up on this and we'll certainly uh, offer an on-air correction and our apologies to Frontier Airline if this story was misreported and then and there and then passed on by me based upon that reporting because uh, we, we don't want we don't want an airline. I know times out there are tough and they're tough for airlines. I don't want people losing customers or losing business for something that is, you know, they didn't do or that's not a fair, uh, a fair view of what happened. So, Craig, thank you very much, and please tell the folks that we're going to look into it, and and I'll I'll issue uh, the on air correction if if we can verify this one. But I, I believe what you're saying. I mean, it sounds to me like that's a very likely scenario. Uh, you know what? Actually, we got a, we got more a lot more roll call to get to, but we'll save it for tomorrow. And uh, re- reminder that if you want to be a part of roll call, it's really easy. Just go to Facebook.com/slash Buck Sexton. Hopefully, you're already following me there. If you're not, please follow that page. We post there uh, frequently. 
And go to BuckSexton.com if you want to listen to the podcast. Easy way to do that. And uh, that's it for today. we got a great show planned already, in my head at least, for tomorrow. So until then, Shields High.